Hi, welcome to Changemakers in Autism. I am so excited about our guest today. I am joined by Denise Resnick, founder and president CEO of First Place Arizona. Uh, Denise, welcome. Thank you for having me, Chantel. I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning. You know, I think when we were talking about our Changemakers podcast, you were at the top of our list. And the funny part about engaging with you is that we actually had to sit down and figure out how we were going to narrow the scope of your interview because you were a change maker in so many different areas uh, within autism services. We certainly admire you and your work. Um, I think it would be really helpful if you could give us a little overview of the many, many things that you and your team are doing in Arizona and beyond. Well, thank you so much for that gracious introduction. And it, um, it all keeps me going and has since our son was diagnosed. So this year, we are celebrating our 25th anniversary for the Southwest Autism Research and Resource Center, an organization I co-founded. And it was actually then that I started also working on real estate and community development because that's my background. I have a marketing communications firm of many decades, but my clients through all the years have been primarily real estate and community developers. And it's what I knew, it's what I could do, and it's what I really wanted to do. Uh, because after our son Matt was diagnosed and we were told to love, accept, and institutionalize him, I committed that we were gonna find a better way. And so all these years and all these things that we're doing are really in that spirit of how we create more inclusive communities, which include homes and jobs and healthcare and lifelong education and more supportive and understanding communities. And so in 2012, we founded the First Place organization to serve as a model for what's possible, both in terms of our R&D site, which is called First Place Phoenix, as well as two affordable housing properties in collaboration with the Foundation for Senior Living. And adult life isn't just about four walls outside of a family home. It's about what people do all day and how they develop those skills and learn how to navigate their communities and how to find support in their communities that they need. While we offer a lot here at First Place Phoenix, many people move on. Um, few people live in their same place forever. And so there's a lot of learning that goes on in terms of the individuals who live here, also the people who work here because those residents and our Transition Academy students are teaching us a lot. And then we have healthcare workers and educators and employers and so many others who we are working with, including those in technology that are helping us build more supportive communities and more stepping stones in terms of how people live um, adult lives um, integrated into the fabric of their communities wherever they live. And I know that's a big mouthful, but you got me all wound up here. <laughs> so Chantel, those are like some really big buckets and we can unpack you know, those that you're interested in exploring. Well, you know I'm interested in all of them, but we are definitely going to unpack the housing bucket today and, and um, the marketplace concept for, for housing. I think maybe let's take a step back and just, if you could describe for us 
I mean, I've had the privilege of being there, but, but describe for people listening what first place is. What happens at first place? What does it feel like when you walk into first place? Well, thank you. Um, and let me distinguish first place. Uh, AZ is our charitable nonprofit. First Place Phoenix is one of the properties and the most visible example here in Phoenix of what we do. Um, but we also have a global leadership institute that is really working with other communities um, in other places based on the power of our example, the power of yours and others. And so here at First Place Phoenix, we have an 81,000 square foot property. We never ever refer to the F word, as you know, Chantel, that stands for facility. We call First Place a home, a community, a building, a property, but never do we call it a facility. People live in homes. And so it is home in every sense of the word. And what happens here for people with autism, with Down syndrome, with um, other intellectual developmental disabilities, uh, they're learning how to live more independently and with supports by doing so every day, both here at, at the property and also um, within the fabric of the greater community, which is known as the most autism-friendly city in the world, um, as acknowledged by PBS NewsHour. And so the people who live here are not living here because of a diagnosis. They're living here because they want to live here. This is a consumer choice property. Nobody gets placed here. People live here in their 20s, 30s, 40s. We have people living in their 50s here too. And for some, it can be a forever place. But for many, it's a place where they come to learn for several years, perhaps, and then are able to move on to their next place. And my background in real estate also started with senior housing. And if you think about what happens in the senior housing market, you know, they start with independent living and then semi-skilled in nursing. Well, we're not a nursing property. We're not congregate care or assisted living, but we do provide more intense supports early in adult life <clears throat> or soon after they leave a family home. And in that way, um, we're doing this in reverse because we're providing more intense supports early and then increasing that level of independence to the greatest degree possible, increasing their quality of life, increasing their options for where they may live next, and reducing costs throughout their lifetime. And we are proving that. And that's another really important part about what we do as an organization. It's not enough to be a beautiful property, but we have to show results. And so we have several studies that are underway and have been completed that speak to those results of how when we do it right and do it earlier, we can increase quality of life and reduce costs. And I would say as a mom, you know, reduce those, um, <laughs> those hours in the middle of the night where we think about all the what ifs um, and know that during our lifetimes, you know, we've had our fingerprints all over it. So for all the moms and dads and parents, you know, family members out there who are listening, um, living at home um, forever is not a forever solution. And mm -hmm. we are underway right now on our first ever Greater Phoenix Housing Market Analysis, which is demonstrating that more and more people um, are living at home um, and who are invisible in terms of those greater numbers for what we need in our communities for affordable and accessible housing. And it's really important for us to make sure that we understand the marketplace, we understand what people need and what they want, um, and that we deliver 
but deliver before mom or dad um, pass um, and before mm -hmm. that individual becomes displaced or sadly uh, more and more becoming homeless. And we're seeing that too. You are. Oh, that's, that's really even so difficult to think about. An emergency placement in a, in a program is, is so challenging. I've seen a situation like that before and it's, it's really hard um, for all involved. So I really appreciate you know, what you're doing there. And obviously, you know, you've been doing this for a very long time. You have a wealth of information. You, ha you know, have graciously shared with those of us sort of embarking on that journey through your, you know, a place in the world, um, uh, I guess, user's manual, I'll call it. I mean, it, it, is, it is a very informative um, piece of work for anybody that's, you know, sort of listening and, and wanting to know more about how to bring a project like this to fruition. But I'm curious because throughout our careers, right, you, you launch things and, and then along the way you learn lessons or th some things don't work and some things work great. And what are a few of the most surprising lessons you've learned, um, you know, through this sort of real estate experience and, and you know, first place Phoenix and um, that, you'd, that you'd want to share with everyone? So having done this for decades, and dreaming um, for so long and, and evaluating more than 100 properties across the country and, and then also my own background um, with real estate. You know, we, we, for so long, for us, we're focusing in on people with autism and other intellectual developmental disabilities and really looking down at, at um, you know, and examining that market. And when you get into this real estate space, it's really important to look up at what the other market leaders are doing in this space, because we're not doing this alone. That there are private sector, uh, nonprofit organizations that are very experienced real estate developers, like your very own Tom Toronto in Bergen County, mm -hmm. who we love. One of my favorites. One of my mm -hmm. favorites, too. And who have their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the real estate industry, that it's very important to have peripheral vision to understand what's happening around you, why you've been planning and dreaming for all these years, what's happening with costs, what's happening with zoning, what's happening with, um, with the latest innovations in terms of um, design and construction, and, and then what people can do in their homes. As a consumer-controlled property, these are adults. Um, they can do whatever is legal in their home, whether it's bringing a member of the same sex or opposite sex, you know, having alcohol or a weapon-free property. But, but you know, with that comes natural consequences, um, and it's really important that we understand what those natural risks and consequences are, and you know, how do we educate and make people more aware, um, and be responsible for the decisions that they're making, and so. First place um, has taught us many lessons. One is to make sure to um, have that peripheral vision and involve others who are not necessarily in our space and who are from the industry. And uh, also um, uh, understand their way around all the different financial mechanisms. Two is to have trusted people in your corner, not people who will just tell you what 
um, you want to hear, <laughs> but truly what you need to know and to make mm -hmm. those really mm -hmm. tough decisions with you that like the one when we were ready to um, break ground on this long awaited property and uh, had zoning approval, had everything designed, ready to go, shovel ready. And while we were getting ready for all this, the real estate market pricing had inflated like 20%. And we were now going to be millions of dollars over our budget. And our board recognized that if we did not achieve the financial um, sensibilities that we set out to achieve, we will not have achieved our mission. So we took an important six month time out um, to get rid of $3 million in cost mm. through value engineering, including an underground parking garage, which required us um, to go back for two zoning variances. So really important to have strong people around you who you trust. And I did, I do, <laughs> and that's how I continue to try to be the most effective leader I can be. The third thing is um, don't get married too soon. You know, there's so many properties that just seem so <laughs> right and we fall in love with yeah. them and, and we have uh -huh. our designs and we have our dreams and we have our shovels and, and stuff happens. And it doesn't just happen to us. That's what's been happening to my real estate clients for years. I just wasn't on the front line. I was on more the marketing communication line, but I, I didn't fully appreciate um, you know, all the highs and lows of the real estate industry mm -hmm. and, and it exists. So not to take it personally, but just know that when this property, for whatever reason, isn't going to work out, there will be another. Uh, and, and, and you'll be glad that, you know, you'll be glad that you found it. That is a really important point. I mean, certainly we've had fits and starts in the housing space as well. And um, we were we were pretty committed to a, a community that we were, you know, falling in love with, and we wanted to do a really significant project there. And we decided that we just, you know, we were having a really hard time finding the space. And so we just immersed ourselves in the community to make sure, it, you know, while we were looking for space, that it was it was the right fit for us and, and what we, you know, felt would be a, a welcoming community for our efforts. And it turns out really wasn't. And there were a couple things that happened that proved to us that that probably wasn't the direction that we wanted to go. But if we had been so tunnel visioned with, you know, the concept and the idea that we put it out there, that this is where we wanted to be, we probably would have made a, a pretty big mistake. So, um, but there's a lot of emotion tied up. I can't imagine how defeating it must have been in the moment where, mm -hmm. you know, shovel poised to break ground and you're oh my God. <laughs> decided to take six months off. It, it, it was. And, um, and, and it was, you know, not an easy journey. And, and mm -hmm. another lesson that I learned is that, I mean, I wanted to build something for everyone, people with high support needs, low support needs, people who had financial uh, capacity and those who did not. And there is not a one size fits all. So There's not. truly understand what your North Star is, who you're building it for. And that's where that study that we published in 2020 called A Place in the World really comes in handy to be able to define what it is you're doing, how it is you're financing it, who can actually live there, and um, and who you are and are not serving. And in that mm -hmm. way, as we begin speaking the same language, we can do a better job of truly fueling a marketplace of options. None of us can do it all, but we need to be respectful of creating a big tent 
that we need to welcome all those um, people who you've had on your podcast and then some into the space so that they can develop what works and what's right for their local communities. And we, in the positions that we're in, being you know on that bleeding edge, if you would, can be transparent in terms of what's working and what needs to be working better. So they can make new mistakes, but not the same ones. And that's why we host our annual mm -hmm. Global Leadership Institute Symposia to make sure that we're not only sharing, but we're encouraging others to do the same. Others to do the same also in terms of how we talk about the marketplace so we can mature so that the public sector, the, you know, the private sector, the charitable sector will want to invest so that we don't confuse um, what we're doing as leaders in this space and as you know, unstoppable pioneers. And I so appreciate the opportunities to collaborate with you and read on our Learn for Independence curriculum and to be able to work together and learn from each other. And, and that's probably um, finally the, the last um, and really important lesson is that, um, and that is leading humbly. I don't know it all. Nobody does. We're, we're still learning. And so the opportunity to learn as um, collaborators, as people who may be developing things who are different or that are different, um, but we need to make sure that we have a, a supportive place where people can share, where they can learn, where they can decide for themselves, you know, whether that's the right, the same path they want to go on or maybe they're going to forge a different one. So, um, so, th so that's really important because at the end of the day, the data um, will we'll speak volumes in terms of what we collectively can do with public policy. And, um, and that's a really big space that we're not going to advance just here from Phoenix, Arizona, but it's gonna take all of us uh, working together, having those mm -hmm. proof points, having those heartwarming stories, many that I love hearing about from Reed through all the activities and all the initiatives that you've been leading there. Well, thank you. I mean, housing for us obviously is, um, for everyone, is a, is a, one of our most critical um, priorities in the future. I, I don't know what the numbers look like in Arizona, but here in New Jersey, I think it's about 6,000 to 8,000 people on a wait list for a residential placement. Um, and I think that's why we get so attached to particular deals, is that we know that the need is so great. Um, but that's one of the things I've always loved about working in nonprofits is that there's so much demand and there's so much need that we are all willing to share resources and information because we, at, at the end of the day, uh, are mission driven and we know that we, we need all of those things to, to really accomplish our goals. I really appreciate what you're saying about those wait lists. And, um, and, and here in Arizona, well actually in Greater Phoenix, we've been as I mentioned, underway on that Greater Phoenix Housing Market Analysis, and again, trying to make that invisible population more visible. Um, here we have um, a population of approximately 156,000 individuals um, with autism and intellectual developmental disabilities, three times the size of what can fit in our Diamondback Stadium, um, who will um, and do need housing. and. And, and when we start looking about, at, you know, at the numbers of people um, today who may, are on those wait lists and then those who don't even make the wait, wait list because they're still at home and they, you know, they gave up or they haven't even begun to try, um, we, we start really um, 
peeling back on those true numbers of what's required. And it's going to take us all um, to be supportive of that and to find those crosswalks of where we can get public policy to be more supportive, not just of the physical property of the home, but all the critical and essential supports that go along with, um, with that home. That was going to be my next point, too. It's one thing to sort of put up the four walls and the roof, but then helping support um, individuals to have a rich life um, in, in however they define that is, is then, you know, a sort of a, a second challenge. And that, that if you don't mind, I, I would like to kind of talk to you about some of the, the supports you have, and in particular, some of the work that you're doing in the, in the world of training first responders and, and other medical professionals, because I think the way that our individuals, um, the, the folks that we serve, are able to interact positively with the community, um, I think it comes from a place of knowledge and, you know, kind of acceptance. And I'm of the belief that most people want to do the right thing, but they, they don't know necessarily, um, you know, they might be unfamiliar, and so they're, therefore their reaction isn't aligned with, you know, a, a really sort of warm and inviting um, experience. So if, if you wouldn't mind talking about going off topic a little bit on the, on the housing and talking a little bit about your training. Sure. Um, so we know um, through all the research um, beyond those properties that we evaluated, we had focus groups, we had national family roundtables that families are most concerned about um, the health, the happiness, and the safety of their loved ones. And you can't guarantee safety, um, but you can work really hard to put all kinds of um, ingredients in place that um, and do your very best. And, and it's beyond the four walls of, of the property. And so that's why it's important for us to train um, first responders and for them to train us. I mean, it's not, it's not just up to them to keep us safe. Last, um, uh, well, earlier this week, actually, the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Penzone, who represents the fastest growing county in the country and the fourth largest, was here. And we were reflecting on some of our work together and what we're going to be doing in the year ahead. We just hosted a training with their deputies and officers here at First Place. And they sat side by side with a resident from, or a student from First Place. We played Jeopardy. Uh, we did some um, mock um, demonstrations in terms of what happens if you ever got pulled over, uh, what happens when an officer talks to you, how do you respond, so they could actually understand in that moment what their responsibility as an individual with autism or IDD is um, with a first responder. And in turn, um, for those law enforcement officials to see all these different points on the spectrum of autism and IDD and to know that um, it presents itself in, in many different ways. And they're trained to look for certain things, um, um, but typically having to do with drugs or alcohol or mental illness, not necessarily autism, and that's what we're trying to change. So through SARC, um, we have developed a, um, a virtual training program with a group called Vertra, and CEO Danny opened and does a masterful job along with actors from um, that have autism um, in this virtual training that is 
um, being made available to licensees of Vertra from around the world. And, um, and then we're also doing in-person trainings like the one we did here at First Place and, um, and in collaboration with um, the Be Safe program and the Autism Society and trying to do more um, with local um, jurisdictions in terms of police training as well. Um, this summer we had a private screening of the uh, of our very favorite autism documentary called In a mm -hmm. Different Key. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and we had law enforcement officers there and we worked with an accrediting organization here called AZ Post so that officers actually got credit for watching this amazing movie, learning about the spectrum, and then engaging with experts, including the co-producers, John Donvan, Karen Zucker, Peter um, Gerhardt, who's also featured in the film, in a Q&A session and discussions with the sheriff so that they could learn outside of being put on that spot and in intervention of what autism is, how it presents itself, um, what we can do, and, um, and also what family members um, can do and support can do to better prepare individuals should they need help finding their way or should they be in trouble. Um, or should they get pulled over by an officer? So um, all really important lessons for our community, which is one of the themes that is underscored in that movie, is the importance of community, and we all have a role to play. We don't all get it right. I, I often talk about communities being perfectly imperfect. Um, they're not right for people who are neurotypical, whatever that means <laughs> in terms of neurotypical, but, but you know, we all learn, and that's... That's this mission called life. It's it's you know what we commit ourselves to doing and and hopefully always improving. And then in the healthcare space, um, this afternoon I'm meeting with our internist from Dignity Health. I refer to her as our dignity, our internist, because she works here uh, during the week in our health spot. It's the only spot that is licensed here at First Place, and it's, an a, it's a thousand square foot health spot where individuals who are living and learning here can also use that space to learn and work with their primary care provider. It's all under the licensure of Dignity Health. Um, it's where we're also bringing Creighton Medical students um, to learn about people, not just when they see them in the exam room, but in all these other spaces here at First Place um, and in the broader community, so that they too, as healthcare providers, have a broader perspective of that whole person. And we've also been involved with the School of Pharmacy and Occupational Therapy, so we're bringing more students here, starting earlier in their careers to help them appreciate what, indi which, what individuals need who may be challenged through communication. And I know as an example for our son, Matt, um, yes doesn't always mean yes, and no doesn't always mean mm -hmm. no. So try that on <laughs> yeah. for size, you know, if you're a physician mm -hmm. asking questions, how do you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, so we've, we're um, in the process of installing something called a medical memory, um, which would um, is a HIPAA-controlled um, um, platform that allows a family who might not be in that, um, you know, exam room to hear and see everything that happened um, in the, in that discussion with the patient, and. Um, and so um, really exciting opportunities to demonstrate what's possible um, when we can't be there next to the one we love. I love the concept of you know capturing people early in their training and early in their careers to really make an impact on 
the way that they, you know, embark on the rest of their professional life. Um, we also hosted a premiere of In a Different Key here with um, Karen and John. And you mentioned three of my favorites, Karen, John, and Peter Gerhardt. That's a, that's a power trio there. Um, and <clears throat> on our panel discussion, we had uh, members from the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office. And here in Bergen County, uh, a million people, 70 municipalities. We're, we're a big, big area. And um, the dialogue with the, with the community was so rich. It was a really moving opportunity, I think, for they were very receptive. It, you know, the, the sort of law enforcement component of that, of the film, is, is hard, to, hard to watch. It's heartbreaking because of the response, and yet um, it was a really positive dialogue, and there was a lot of just um, positive discourse around, around the, the topic and how we could do more. So we're, we're trying to work on some of those training opportunities here as well. Um, but I think that, you know, how many experiences did we have as very young professionals or within school that just sort of burrow deep and stick with us and inform the way we practice um, for the rest of our lives? So I think that's a terrific strategy. And I'm I'm thrilled that you've had so much success in your community. Well, and, and we use the film, too, um, with healthcare providers. So thinking about the barbell approach, yes, early in career, but also those who are more seasoned um, in their practice. And so with the movie, Chantal, we also uh, worked with Creighton Medical School and provided CMEs, continuing medical education credit mm -hmm. units, um, for physicians um, and CEUs for um, healthcare providers, so they could watch the film, have this con have other conversations, um, and receive credit for it. And we did that also with the Arizona Bioethics Network, and and through that organization, had some really powerful conversations in terms of bioethical issues related to this population, things that we need to be talking about um, before they happen. And um, and actually are already happening. We just need to talk about them. And, and that, that movie really does a beautiful job of having a, a point of reference for us and an experience for us and recognizing for people within this space like you and I are, and also as John and Karen like to refer to them, the civilians, how important <laughs> it is outside of our space, for them to get it. Um, and, and on many levels, um, I feel that when we do this right, for people with autism and intellectual developmental disabilities, we do it right for everyone else, just like those curb cuts um, of you know um, 30 years ago through the ADA. And um, as Peter Gerhardt likes to call them, the neurological curb cuts, they can be good for everyone. As a matter of fact, our doctor um, here, Dr. Caroline Kim Kupfer, said during that bioethics conference, she said, if everybody treated their patients the way we should be treating our patients with autism, then all of our patients would do better. Plain language, more time in the, you know, in the mm -hmm. appointment, follow-up, um, having somebody they can talk to beyond, you know, um, a recording. And, uh, and that's what we're working on offering here through our patients. Um, who are, you know, helping us understand what's needed in the clinic. 
And I have to tell you, those medical students who have come through and worked on these projects with us through their lens of innovation and technology and, and what they're coming up with. So I'm really excited not just to expose individuals to what autism and IDD is and what it means as adults, but to truly engage them to want to entice them to this space so we get the best and the brightest coming over working with us. I want to know what, this This could be a whole other podcast, I'm sure, but what is next for, for you and your team? What's on the horizon that you're working on that you're excited about? Well, there are so many things, but um, first winding up our Greater Phoenix Housing Market Analysis next month and using that um, as a model for where we go next with four other markets across the country in 2023. We are super excited about your license of our Learn for Independence curriculum. We now have 10 licensees in other places across the country. And in many ways, those licensees in that program, that transition program, are helping people identify where they're going next with their residential real estate, and in some cases um, have already developed their real estate and, um, and are thriving. And so we look forward to more licensees. We also um, are licensing our health and wellness curriculum. It's a 360 health and wellness curriculum. Mm -hmm. And we have now developed the curriculum. We've worked with the individuals with autism, with their family members, and with the healthcare professionals. So three different courses, 10 modules each. And it is the power of all of us working together, of recognizing what those proof points are, what those what that data is telling us. Um, and, uh, and in that way, we're uh, we launched this year and will be gaining some uh, momentum in the year ahead on a translational research consortium, which looks not only at, at the individual and quality of life outcomes in various locations, but also at the impact on community and economies. That we realize when we get this right, um, everybody wins. And uh, and that's, that's really powerful for us to quantify beyond the good feelings we have in our heart and those really warm stories, but to actually have hard data that demonstrates that this makes good sense. And that's not a, um, a right or a left issue, that's an everyone issue. And, and I, I hope that through our work, um, we can find those spaces that can bring um, political interests together, um, find our space where we can <laughs> that be, might be the impossible civil, <laughs> right <laughs> um, where they touch our hearts you know because um, we're talking about children we're talking about youth we're talking about families we're talking about um, people we love and and to 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 build the communities um, for them that are supportive that are patient that are kind that are the kind of places we'd all want to live and that's what we get here at first place a lot from families is you know when a family member says i could see myself living here and why not you know who wouldn't want to live in a you know a beautiful supportive community right in the heart of everything um mm -hmm. where they feel understood and um and yes you're right it might be a lofty goal Chantel, but when have we not have loft when have we not had lofty goals it's <laughs> how the best projects come to fruition so we often ask our guests um, because you know when you are a change maker yourself you certainly surround yourself and know other change makers so who 
should we contact? Who should be who should we feature on this podcast next? Well, I looked at your list, and you certainly had an all star lineup. Um, if you haven't um, reached out to Desiree Kamika, she is a powerhouse, and we do work with her as an advisor here at the First Place Global Leadership Institute, and a okay. definite star. And she is the type of young leader also who we are thrilled um, to have joining us and uh, thrilled to learn from and, and also help support along the way. I love it. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Denise, you know you're one of my favorites. Thank you so much. Thank I've you. had a wonderful time. Oh, um, I, I need to get back out there to see you again, and I hope you can make your way to New Jersey and see us here. Um, but thanks for taking the time with us today. It's great to hear from you. Absolutely. And I do plan to be spending some more time there next year. So we will make a date for sure. Oh, I'll look forward to it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Changemakers in Autism. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Read Autism Services. Like, follow, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts.